Let's start with a friend of mine on the uh, the screen. Um, we just come to the end of a series on um, Romans. I don't know how you found this wander through Romans. We've had to look at vast chunks every week, and probably we we haven't given it as much. Uh, um, as it should uh, in terms of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was uh, once the pastor uh, many, many, many years ago at Westminster Chapel. Uh, he spent five years, I think it was, going through Romans. And he would do, sometimes he even spoke, and Graham can back me up on this, he'd speak on one word. So uh, we didn't quite do it that sort of level of justice for five years, but I think it was really helpful doing the Romans series. And I hope you in small groups found it helpful as well, just grappling with so it's such a significant book. And we're going into a little mini sort of series over the Lent period, looking uh, a little bit um, based on, a, on, a, on a, a book that's really grabbed my heart. But actually it's about something that I feel God is leading us into as a church in terms of calling us to something so exciting about being a follower of Jesus. I start with, um, uh, as I say, uh, a friend of mine. This is uh, a a passionate football fan. His name is John, and his middle name has been changed to John Portsmouth Football Club Westwood. All right? And um, I, I love going to watch live matches. Don't get to many live matches these days. Uh, I, I should go and see Barnet, to be fair. There's a number of Barnet fans here. Barnet are on the up. They're doing great. Great win yesterday at Fylde. Uh, so I do keep up with them. But I haven't been to see them this season. I, I should go and see them because they are playing awesome, aren't they, Jez? Ish. In a Barnet sort of way. But the point is, when you're there, there's something about the whole thing of being there. There is something about being live and being there and being a... Uh, really going and watching them. Last Saturday, I went to see the glories of League One football. I saw Cambridge United against Cheltenham Town. All right. Then before Christmas, I went to see uh, uh, Newcastle. I was in the Newcastle end, which is always a fascinating thing. If you want to talk about passionate fans in the Newcastle end at, uh, uh, at Chelsea. And um, I'm potentially going to, uh, uh, to watch <coughs> Arsenal. Uh, in uh, in uh, next Saturday, uh, I'm sorry to any any Tottenham fans here, but anyhow, the point is, there's something about being a follower of your team, isn't there? There is something about it. I was chatting to Roland actually the other day. I don't want to embarrass him because he's a Tottenham fan. Uh, in the light of yesterday, but but he may not have slept last night because he shared with me the other Sunday when we were having a a, a, a drink in the pub when he said. I didn't sleep last night. I said, why was that? He said, because I was still thinking about that goal that was let in uh, by, by Tottenham, which happens quite often for Tottenham, I might add. But, uh, you know, the fact is, it's interesting, isn't it? when you're a follower, you get so into it that you just walk with your team to the point where you even lose sleep over it. It's bizarre over a bunch of sweaty guys wandering around a football field, pursuing a ball for no particular reason apart from putting it into that bag at one end of the pitch. What does it mean to be a follower? It's a fascinating thing. Um, actually, Ronan and I were reflecting on, uh, we grew up with the balloon debates. Do you ever have balloon debates at school where you would discuss about the people that could stay in the balloon with you? They would do it was a debating game type thing. And then you'd end up with the final person. And I remember a balloon debate at school myself where this was my hero, all right? My hero was Nelson, always has been Lord Nelson. This is him on, this is actually um, a picture that's uh, in my study on the wall. And as I say, Nelson's a bit of a hero. 
And he's someone, if in one sense, we want to aspire to, we want to be like, although a pretty flawed character in lots and lots of ways. The reason I'm saying this, every single one of us follows someone else. Now, we live in a culture that effectively uh, uh, people say, no, I am who I am. We're told you can be who you want to be. I disagree with that profoundly. I think actually every single one of us are molded by our surroundings, by our background. We all, in a sense, have made decisions to follow certain people or certain ways. We've all been affected by it. There's no such thing as someone who does not follow something or someone. We are made, if you like, we're, 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 we're molded to follow. When I was seven, I made the most important decision in my life. In a very small way, by my bedside with my mum, I said, I want to follow Jesus. I didn't really know what I was doing. My mum seemed reasonably cool at that age. Within a few years, she wasn't cool. I became a teenager. But the fact is, is that at that point, I discovered something about this person, Jesus, that I thought I'd like to be like him. And over the years, and I think more so than ever, I've realized how beautiful it is to follow Jesus. Have you ever stopped and thought how wonderful it is to follow Jesus? The Lent time is a wonderful time to re if you like, refocus on this person, Jesus. It is the most beautiful thing to follow Jesus. And even in the ups and downs of my life, and I've had plenty of moments when I've thought, Lord, what is it all about? Where could I go? I've even had moments where I've thought, why do I do this? Is it really true? Or have I been conned and I've given my life to something that is complete and utter tosh? I'm like Peter, who comes back and says when Jesus says, well, you can go if you want to. And he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Because deep down, deep down, he's always been my rock. He's always been there. I want to follow him. I want to know him. I want to be passionate for him. And recently I've been helped a lot by a guy called John Mark Comer, uh, who's an American pastor, um, and um, he's written a lot of stuff around the whole area of what it means to follow Jesus. And if you like, this word that we're going to just look at and I'm going to introduce today is this word, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? This book, which uh, there's a part of them at the back uh, called, uh, called Practicing the Way. I've got it on a deal. It's only £13, hardback, £13 rather than £15. And practicing the way, uh, looking at the core of what does it mean to follow Jesus. It's a brilliant, brilliant book. And some of the resources around those things are going to help us as we spend some time on this in the next few weeks. Because Jesus does this amazing thing, doesn't he? When he says, come follow me. Our vision statement is this, the transformation of Barnet and beyond with the love of Jesus, one life at a time. But you see, I want to suggest, what does that mean? What does it mean for lives to be transformed? Jesus didn't come just to invite people to become Christians. He didn't. Jesus came to make disciples. 
going to explore that a little bit more. And I want us to grab hold of this in the next few weeks as we're going to look at aspects of this. How are we to do this? And what I realize is that transformation doesn't just happen by accident. That actually for many of us, it's like we've, we've become Christians. And when we meet that word Christian, in itself is really interesting, isn't it? If you ask most people what a Christian is, most of them will just say, well, you know, it's, um, it's sort, of, sort of believing in something. A sort of set of some sort of beliefs. Now, maybe going to church. Oh, you know what, I do Christmas, I do Easter, you know. And, and maybe, isn't it something to do with like reading the Bible or praying? People often will say, well, if that's a Christian or being a good person or something like that. They did a survey in America where they worked out about 75% of the people on the survey said they were Christians. But then they zeroed it down and asked them questions about what does that really mean? And it came out with about 10% were actually what we call resilient Christians. That means that they actually believed it and actually were walking in it on a daily basis. Now, I would say that probably the stats would be similar in this country. And that's the challenge. Jesus didn't call us to become Christians. He called us to become disciples. We're going to explore this a little bit more. In this um, passage here, as we think about come, follow Jesus, don't you think it's amazing This statement right at the beginning of um, Matthew, Matthew 4, where he says this. He's walking along the side of the Sea of Galilee. And these disciples, or they weren't disciples at that point, these guys were just there enjoying themselves in their business day, doing their stuff. And what did they do? They were fishing. And he says these simple words to them. He says this. He says, as Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Have you ever thought how crazy it is that those guys dropped their nets and purely on the basis of Jesus saying, come, follow me, they went after him? No official position he had. He was, there was no money available. There was no contract that he offered. He just walks along and says, come, follow me. Now, Jesus was a rabbi. And there were lots of them around Israel in those days. Very briefly, um, most rabbis, interestingly enough, were from very different backgrounds. You'd be a blacksmith rabbi, be lots of different types of backgrounds. They weren't from a certain class. They were from a mixture of different places. No formal degrees as such. They were effectively people who lived their lives and taught through their lives. They weren't people necessarily with huge qualifications. So this guy walks along and he is, if you like, he's called a rabbi. Quite often Jesus was described himself as a rabbi. He was a teacher. And often as well, just to say that Jesus didn't invent the word discipleship because there were disciples of rabbis walking around all the time. There were a bunch of rabbis uh, that were well-known, Rabbi Hillel, years before Jesus had 80 disciples. Rabbi Akiva had eight disciples, but thousands followed him. John the Baptist had disciples. Paul himself followed, and he was the disciple of a guy called Gamaliel. It was part of life in those days. And just explaining briefly, the Jewish education system was fascinating. 
Because what would happen is, from just to say, imagine you're a child of five. When at five you'd start at school, and this was the Jewish education system primarily. You didn't have the whole variety of different things. What you had, you had um, called Bet Sefer, which was the house of the book, which would be run by a scribe or a teacher connected to the synagogue. And the aim was that you spent the whole time, till you were 12 or 13, studying the Torah. I might add, you didn't just study the Torah. By the age of 12 or 13, it was expected that you would have learnt the Torah, which is Genesis through to Deuteronomy. All right, all the way through, you would have learned it, memorized it. It's an oral culture. You learned it off by heart. Can you imagine that? We're going to be reading it in the next few days. That bit. We're going to be getting to Leviticus. Um, you know, they learned that. They learned the whole five books. Isn't that remarkable? So by twelve, thirteen, that would be expected. That oral culture still goes on in our world today. But if you were that good at 12, 13, if you were the best of that lot, if you understood it the best, then you would go on to what was called Bet Midrash, which was the house of learning. And you would not just in that time be uh, for the next five years till you were about 18. Hi, Paul. Uh, you know, you, 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 would, you would not just be doing stuff together with others and learning from the scribe. You would learn not just the five books of the Torah, you would learn the whole Old Testament. So by the age of 18, the expectation was you would know the whole of the Old Testament off by heart. That was the reality of what... So you would, be, you would be, have gone from, if you like, 12, 13. If you didn't make it past 12, 13, you didn't know enough of your Torah, you'd go back to the village, you'd go back and you'd help with your business, you'd start working there at 12, 13. But then from 13 to 18, then you would, if you like, be in the, you know, move up into grammar school sort of level. But you would learn the whole of the Old Testament. Isn't that remarkable? So by 18, if you were pretty good, you'd get to that point. And if you were really good, you might go to the rabbi and the rabbi would begin to interview, ask you questions about the, the Torah and all that stuff. And if you were really, really good, he would say to you this phrase, he'd say, come, follow me. You can be my disciple. So you were the best of the best of the bestest if you were called to follow the rabbi. And what would be the primary goals of, of your time? Be three things that you would, you would be involved with in ter- terms of this rabbi. Number one, you would be with your rabbi. Mark uh, 3.14, it says, he appointed the twelve to be with him. And what that means is that your whole life would be with him. Not just once a week you turn up and be with him. You would literally spend your whole life with this rabbi because you wanted to get to know his life. You wanted to get to know how he, he uh, moved, how he thought, how he was. There's even rumors that sometimes they would even f- suddenly, uh, the rabbi was sitting on the toilet or the equivalent and suddenly if he didn't watch it, it pop up and there was a disciple because they wanted to, ex- not experience it, but you know, they wanted to, to be around them so much. Everything was about being with the rabbi, being with them in their situation. So you would seek to be with them. Secondly, you wanted to be like them. Your desire was you wanted to be like this rabbi who you'd studied under, you'd known, you wanted to be just like them. And also what you ultimately wanted to do, you wanted to do what that rabbi did. You wanted to carry out the things they did. You wanted to carry on. If you like, you wanted to reach the point where the rabbi said, go. Go and make disciples. You would go and be a rabbi yourself that would then call others to join you. Now, do you understand the flow of what I'm talking about here? Jesus has 
Because what the flow of happened to those people then is exactly the same invitation that we have today. He says, Rabbi Jesus, but the no ordinary rabbi, of course. Because when the people saw him, they said, he's doing the most amazing things. He's, he's teaching. I mean, we're going to be reading through Matthew 5 to 7. You cannot beat that teaching. It's the most challenging, incredible thing, isn't it? The Sermon on the Mount. But he's saying to us, to every single one of us here, what's he saying to us? He's saying, I invite you to come to follow me. If you like, the term for disciple is to apprentice. We're going to get to use that word apprentice. If you understand about apprentice, you're an apprentice plumber or an electrician or you're apprenticing. You literally, don't you, you live with that person or you're with that person. You're learning directly from them. And this is the terminology that is to follow Jesus. Isn't that the most amazing thing? That every day we are with Jesus. We are to become like Jesus. And then ultimately he calls us to do what he did. So he says to his disciples, I invite you in. He says, come follow me. And then right at the end of his life, as we were read earlier, go into all the world and what to do? Make Christians to sit on seats. No, go into all the world and make disciples. And he's inviting us to be part of his practice of following him. It's an invitation to do those things. And maybe the question today is, are you a Christian or are you an apprentice or a disciple. It's very interesting about the word Christian. I'm going to land in a minute. But the word Christian is only mentioned, you know, three times in the New Testament. Only three times. And each of those three times is, is broadly a bit of a mocking statement. It's about you Christians. The actual um, uh, word actually for Christians was very much, they were, they were, they were um, followers of the way. So it says those of the way. So you look in Acts, it says they were, they were, they were of the way. Because they, they realized that they were following a, a journey with walking with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did. In fact, the word disciple, apprentice, is mentioned 269 times in the New Testament. And it's a challenge, isn't it? Because as I say, the word Christian can mean so much, but often is such a vague statement. It doesn't really mean anything anymore these days in some ways. You know, we are a Christian nation, for example. What does that mean? I would argue we're actually post-Christian. Maybe even pre-Christian, whatever. But we're not particularly, even though we have roots that are Christian and deeply held, and people don't realize how rich they are, and actually our value system is very much based around those things. Many people, unfortunately that word Christian doesn't mean what it could mean. I think what the challenge is, is followers of the way is a real challenge to enable us, to help us to truly be an apprentice. As Jesus says, whoever wants to be my apprentice, not whoever wants to put your hand up to become a Christian. It's a life call. That verse devastating verses but challenging verses here in Mark 8 that were read then he called his disciples whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross and follow me isn't that an amazing statement that we got there about what it means to follow Jesus Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, incredible pastor right who died just before the end of the second world war 
His book, Discipleship, is one of the most incredible books you can read. But he says this, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. What is the point of following Jesus unless it's not all or nothing? That's what he's inviting us into. And so I am deeply challenged by this. I'm not saying this is not meant to be a place of, of judgment. I, in a sense, feel that we increasingly, in our culture and where we're at, we need to become deeply apprentices of Jesus. We need to be walking in a way that uh, deep takes us deeper into what it means to walk with him and to walk, um, to become like him and do what he did. That's what he's calling us in as a church. Imagine how radical that could be, that people who just are operating in that way and seeking to do things in that way, what difference that could make to the world around us. Dallas Willard writes this, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven into every corner of human existence. Do you not want to know that you're part of a church that's seeking to apprentice? That means that we're walking together, encouraging one another, saying, how is it going with Jesus today? How are we walking with him? And if you like, what we're going to be doing over the next uh, few weeks is, if you like, this understanding of practicing the way. And what is interesting about that word practice, nothing of any worth will will, will happen without practice, will it? They reckon you need to do at least 10,000 hours. That was the thing for you to be any good at anything. But if you want to be any good at sport, you want to be good at music or any good at art, it only gets good with practice, doesn't it? And yet somehow we think that in Christianity we can just sort of turn up on relatively little amounts and think that somehow we're going to be close to Jesus. And so we're going to explore some of these practices that in many ways have been lost. I know many of you carry on practices and consider practices every day. You, you read your Bible. you do. But we want to say let's walk into some fresh practices that actually Jesus did himself and enable us in our walk with him. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks together. Because what is wonderful, coming back to the fisherman story, is you think these fishermen were sitting there and a rabbi walks past. And normally if a rabbi walks past, you think, well, I've been rubbish. I haven't learned my entire Bible. I've not been the best of the best of the best of the best of the best. And only the best of the best were ever asked to be my rabbi. And he says to these fishermen, he says to the blind beggar, he says to the prostitute, he says to the tax collector, doesn't he? He says it's not about being the best of the best of the best of of knowing all the right things. He says, come follow me. Isn't that amazingly releasing? The greatest, most beautiful, wonderful rabbi, Jesus, has invited all of us to be part of his plan and purposes. You can't get better than that, can you? That's what he invites us into. And so we're going to be looking at some of these practices and habits. You know, as I say, I'm going to share a little bit about fasting, which in these days where we, you know, food is just available like that or whatever. Fasting seems a crazy practice for weirdos and vicars, you know, sort of thing that only some people should do. But actually an invitation to that. Things like Sabbath. What does it mean to Sabbath? I was due to preach on Sabbath in two weeks' time. I'm not preaching on it because I don't do Sabbath very well. What I mean by that is a proper day of Sabbath. I don't do it very well. So I'm not preaching into it at the moment. 
All right? Because I know I, I, I just don't do it. I have a day off, but I end up doing all the jobs. So anyhow, it's another discussion. What does real Sabbath mean? God himself had a day off. What does it mean to truly Sabbath? What does it mean to be generous? What does it mean to be silent? You think, Andy, you wouldn't have a clue about silence, would you, Andy? But I don't. I'm struggling with silence and solitude. But often it's only in the silence. Jesus himself, when he had silence, took time away. Anyhow, I could go on. I'm getting passionate about it. I do recommend the book. I do recommend the podcasts and stuff off the back of it. Really, really good. Well worth listening into. We're going to dig in because we're following no ordinary rabbi. But what a wonderful promise when he says, come, follow me. I don't know about you. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. And I want to do the kingdom stuff that Jesus did. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you um, weak and unsure. Lord Jesus, the most glorious thing is saying yes to you. But we underestimate sometimes that saying yes to you, like those fishermen did, means to follow you in everything. It's not an add-on. And we confess that sometimes knowing you is a bit of an add-on. We bring you in when we need you. But gloriously, today... You're inviting us to be a disciple of you. And Lord, as we spend some time focusing in on these things over the next few days and weeks, Lord, I pray that you would enrich our hearts. But Lord, that we wouldn't just have insights, but Lord, that you would begin to change us intentionally and that we will become intentional in what it means to follow you. And Lord, as a church, I pray, Lord, that we would be inviting people into this depth of following you we want to be open to you lord jesus for your glory we pray amen